It's a mostly peaceful podcast. You found it, the Japan Web Podcast, blowing hot air out of the back end of Tokyo. I'm your co-host, Matt Bigelow. Yeah. So is it time for, my, for, for, for me to speak, Matt? I'm, uh, my name is Mike Rogers. Um, I'm a friend of Matt's. I'm a radio disc jockey and do a lot of things in Japan. I've been here for a long time. And somehow, I don't know how, um, the former host of this show left this show. Matt calls me up and he says, Mike, I need someone to be a co-host with me. You know, someone who understands Japanese and Western culture and can speak Japanese and English and can transcend these cultural boundaries and really bring together international communication. And he couldn't find anyone, so he got me. <laughs> <laughs> no oh, sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tom, uh, Tom bolted out the door. We got into an, uh, a little tiff about money, and he, he just quit. It was uh, kind oh. of a shocker, but that's the way it goes. Well, he'll be missed. He'll be missed. He will be missed. And he'll come. He'll, he'll, he'll miss the show, too. Yeah, yeah. Still haven't heard from him, by the way. Still haven't heard no, from well, him. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Tom, if you're out there, hope you're doing well. Yeah, me too. Um, so, yeah, man, we have a, we have a Black Lives Matter protest going on later today. We're doing this um, in the morning, so it's a little bit early to start monitoring the scenes, but uh, it's, it's uh, a lot of people. There's a, yeah. There's a Black Lives protest today? Yes. That's Where? In Yoyogi, in Shibuya, and in the uh, Harajuku area of Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have a little map, and they got... Um, press relations and they got uh, leaders and they got slogans they're kind of tech savvy about it because you can go into the convenience stores and enter a code into a printer and it'll print uh-huh. out a nice high quality double-sided photo of, uh, of one of their um, slogans uh, that you can attach to a poster board oh that sounds like work oh yeah protesting is not <laughs> easy <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, and well, I wish them well. So, what exactly is it that they're protesting? Um, it's like a human rights type of thing, and there oh. was the death of uh, George Floyd in America. And oh, yeah, that's right. A lot of the very uh, politically active um, youth these days want to protest. I was watching a, a YouTube video of one of the protest leaders being interviewed for this mm-hmm. uh, protest. I'm sorry, it's not a protest; it's a peaceful march. Um, okay. And the like to dislike ratio was pretty high in the dislike when I was checking it. It was like 700 dislikes to 500 likes. And most of the YouTube comments were like, um, we're trying to get over the COVID virus at the moment. Are you sure you want to be uh, marching in the streets? (laughs) (laughs) So there's a kind of a legitimate negative reaction already on behalf of the locals, but I'm not sure how attuned most of the politically active foreign youth are in with um, traditional Japanese culture. You know, I, I wish them well, whatever they want to do, that's fine. But, you know, in Japan, things are totally different than the West. And I don't know, um, the viewers to this show are they mostly in Japan or? Overseas? Yeah, it's it's actually it's about a seventy to eighty percent in Japan, and then America okay. is after that, and then a you know a smattering of other countries after that. Well, the, most people know like um, um, we don't have a lot of the problems that the United States has in this country, and some people will argue, well, no, they're being what do you call it? They're being swept under the rug or whatever. Yeah, marginalized. Yeah, marginalized maybe they are um but um i don't i don't have any problem i most of my foreign friends i only have like four foreign friends five foreign friends that's like five more than me (laughs) and three of them are white and two guys are black and that's it oh and i have some indian friends too in indian so but um yeah it's just a different thing here so they're probably doing it just to have fun, raise awareness, meet girls, uh, go to the bar afterwards and have a beer, or go to the ice cream stand and have a uh, crepe. Or whatever. bubble tea. Bubble tea is bubble big tea, these days. Bubble tea is big. I don't even know what bubble tea is, but um, yeah, it's you know uh, probably a nice way to pick up girls. 
You could put some vodka in a bubble tea and make it like a white Russian. Oh. What is bubble tea? Um, bubble tea are like these gelatinous, um, chewy tea bubbles and oh. in, a, in a milk tea solution. That sounds terrible. It's, it, <laughs> that it, sounds it, terrible. It does. It depends on how sweet you make it, but I've had one the oh, other I day, see. and mm. it was not bad. And oh. I, I thought about if you if you put a couple of shots of vodka in there, uh, you'd be able to nonchalantly day drink in public. Well, you can day drink in public here. Anyway. Yeah, for the shy, though. Some people are still yeah, shy. Yeah, oh, I see about for the shy people. Yeah. Yeah, you don't see too many people walking around with a paper bag, a bottle in a paper bag here. It's no. It's just not necessary. <laughs> Although my favorite is the uh, the old man on the train with his one cup of uh, Nihonshu in the, in the senior section. Oh, hi. That, that was That you. was me. Oh, you were an inspiration. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Anyways. We'll see if this protest is mostly peaceful. There's there it, with the Black Lives Matter uh, movement. There's like the, there's a, a Marxist wing to it in a way where they say um, uh, Black lives are are being um, uh, marginalized due to white supremacy's capitalism, and by mm-hmm. proxy, Japan being a capitalist nation is also benefiting from the white supremacists. I saw some comments like that that didn't get a lot of pushback on their Facebook page. So there's a, you know, there's like a kind of a, a revolutionary Marxist wing to it. Mm. I don't know if I could say this, but um, you and I and my formerly mentioned five friends in this country, we are such a small minority. And there are still to this day, lots of Japanese who um, believe that the Japanese are the superior culture in the world. And I don't mean that as a negative thing. Everybody should think that about themselves, about their country. Yeah. I, 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 I believe that. Sure. But um, I remember 30 years ago or so talking to a lot of ex-military people. I interviewed lots of them for articles and asked them, so when Japan lost the war, what did you think? It's, I would say at least more than 50% of them said, how in the hell did we lose the war to these savages? Meaning us. Yeah. Yes, because, you know, Japan was like 2,700-year-old country, never lost a war. And how did we lose to these savages? And uh, that was really kind of an eye-opener for me because I, I realized that, you know, in America, people say, you know, this is the greatest country in the world, and I've lived... I've lived in Iowa all my life and um, I've never wanted to go anywhere else. This is the greatest place, but you'll find people all over the world who say that. Yeah. About oh, yeah. Where they live. Uh, my family in Alberta, Canada, some of them say stuff like that too. You can be oh, looking right? at a windswept hellscape, minus 40 degree weather. And they're in their truck with their hot <laughs> cup of uh, Tim Hortons going, couldn't imagine living anywhere else, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, we got that now. We got Suyu, right? We got rainy season. And I hope rainy season lasts till October because when it stops, it gets hotter than hell here. Yeah, the soup moves in and it does not move out. It's a, it's going to yeah. be another type of hellscape. All right, well, hopefully that the, the, the revolution um, gets, uh, you know, peaceful, mostly peaceful oh. uh, revolution. Let's uh, move on to okay. um, a topic here. This is a um, live house shutdown, and this comes to us from uh, metalinjection.net. Metalinjection.net. Um, yeah. This comes, uh, my friend, do you know, what's his, uh, uh, Mike Navarro? He's a guitarist, a guitar collector, and uh, he owned a studio in Okinawa. Nah, no, no. I mean, I've met him a, a few times, but there's so many Navarros. Yeah, he right. He's an ex ex military guy too, and a chef, and he he has like a he has this insane guitar collection. Oh, I'm, I'm talking like uh, famous rock stars, uh, guitars, 1975 Telecasters. The list goes on, and he has hundreds of them. But uh, this comes to us from Mike, and this is from the. The, like I said, metalinjection.net, and it's about um, yeah. the effect on 
live houses due to the COVID. And this is uh, in the wake of all concerts closing down, hundreds of independent concert venues um, formed a new group as a way to unify to get government officials to help independent venues in the wake of the pandemic uh, and being unable to open doors. A new survey by the group points a dire picture for the future of live events. Uh, they surveyed 2,000 independent venues from every state in the U.S. and concluded that 90% of independent venues report that they will close permanently in a few months without federal help. And there we go. Do you think the situation could be similar in Japan, Mike? Uh, yeah. Um, I've heard of a lot of clubs are going to be closing down. But But wait, and I don't really want to get so talk about economics or something like that the in the, the the case of the united states this might be if you think i'm crazy you tell me the fed has been lowering uh, printing money printing money printing money printing money so there's all, it printed all like a couple money. of trillion dollars last month somehow yeah, they so digitally this, printed it yeah so there's all this hot money fl floating around and has been since 2008 so a lot of the businesses, and I hate to say this, but a lot of the businesses, the restaurants, the, the clubs and stuff, probably would not be in business if the Fed had not been printing money. And the reason why I say that is they print the money, people have to do something with the money, spend it or invest it in something. So a lot of people will like invest in restaurants or clubs or whatever. And then bad things happen like this coronavirus or whatever. And um, I think what we're doing is seeing is a washout of some of the clubs that were barely marginally surviving because I think, and I could be wrong. Like I said, I, I could be wrong, but I, I think that is the top level of what's going go, going on. And that's probably 20 or 30% of the clubs. They're, they're just gone. So I, and I'm not an economist, but um, I kind of was thinking about that the other day. In Japan, a lot of the clubs are closed, and they want the Tokyo government, the Japan government, to give them some kind of money. But I think, just thinking realistically about it, the government, um, you know, if a live house is open or closed, it's not really that much of a priority for the government. Not like paying money to old people and and um, their voters basically don't care. So I don't think the government's going to, okay, yeah, we'll give you guys, you know, several million yen each. I don't think they're going to do that here. No, uh, it's it might be some of the more business savvy of them might be able to word it in a certain way, but government-funded yeah. rock and roll never really seemed like a thing to me. <laughs> That's right. That's a good way to put it. I, I just there's a club in um, Hatagaya, and it's called Heavy Sick. And I don't know if if any uh, you uh, people listening to the show like punk rock or garage, but one of the things that's really nice about this club is you can go there any night of the week, and you know that you're going to see garage music or punk music or rockabilly or something like that. There's a, a theme, but you go to a lot of other clubs. And it's just a mishmash. They'll have an idol group and then a heavy metal death metal group. And then they'll have like, you know, like a pop group. And then they'll have a, like a jazz group. But at this club, Heavy Six, they only do that kind of music. So you could just, it's a Tuesday night. Matt, what do you want to do? Hey, well, let's just go to Heavy Six. And um, they've been closed, I guess, almost three months. And the other day they started an online tipping business where you can watch their video and give them a tip but i've been trying to find out from people how that went and i haven't gotten any good answers so i suspect it didn't go well yeah it's it's hard to do that um and it's in japan in some areas of the world mobile money transfer like money transfer through your mobile phone like it's been big in africa for 10 years it's uh, basically the only way to pay for shit in China now. 
other oh. Southeast Asian companies are getting in on it because it's uh, secure and safe. You don't have to worry about being robbed and things like that. But in, in <laughs> so they say, right? Right. But in in <laughs> in in Japan, it's already a safe country, and they like their money here. And most people view the smartphone as a free game and chatting device, not yeah. not as a business solution for the most part. So I, I wonder. Yeah, he- and also the idea of tipping punk rock musicians through a smartphone. Like, there's a lot of aspects of the technology that don't really match up with each other. Yeah. So, anyway, I checked their website and I saw places where they're selling T-shirts for 3,000 yen or 4,000 yen. And they have a little box there saying, give us a tip. You know, buy the shirt and give us a tip. But uh, 3,000 yen for a T-shirt is kind of expensive, isn't it? 4,000 yen? I think it's so. It's not cheap, is it? That's it's not no, it's not cheap by a long shot. I mean, um, it's a punk club, so I would hope that the t-shirts would sell for fourteen hundred yen or eighteen hundred yen. Maybe I'm living in the past, but um, yeah, three thousand, four thousand yen. That sounds like a Fuji Rock type prices. Yeah, it's it, yeah. How corporate are these punk rockers? Is are they well, the made, band, Are they is, made of silk? <laughs> it's like a punk rock yeah. shirt made of silk. The, the, the band, the bands are punk, but the club may be. The club owners and stuff might not be so punk. I Money if they, has a way of doing that to you. I, that's what I was you just going to say. Are these people <laughs> that made like a, a fortune off of early Bitcoin investments? And then they're like, I'm going to open up a restaurant and a club, uh, but nobody yeah, goes. And then after a, a few years, they might just say, screw this. I'm out of here. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. we'll hmm. see. We'll see. All right. What's next, Mike? What do you got? Oh, um, I've got a story here that, uh, I needed to run by you because, um, it just kind of shocked me and I, I didn't know that you were married. Oh yeah. Almost one year now. Almost a year. And, uh, um, we've never had a fight. We, swear to God. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this story was, um, a man in Indonesia recently, um, He's 31 years old. He met a girl online, but he met a person online and they started getting together and talking and they really hit it off. This is like maybe what we were just talking about, smartphone thing, you know, oh, yeah. got to be a little bit careful. And one day they went out for coffee. This is like, you know, after a week. And the guy says he, he just couldn't stop thinking about her. And he... he <laughs> A week after, week after getting together or something like that, he told her like, "Mita, I miss you. Let's get married." Whoa! And of course, Mita accepted immediately. The guy's family comes over and they give her a dowry. I guess they do that in India or something like that. And it was like one thousand four hundred and thirty dollars, which I guess is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of money there. You can buy many cows. You. Know, <laughs> You're evil. You're going to hell for that, Matt. <laughs> Maybe You're so. You're going to hell for that one. Maybe so. So on, on the morning of June 2nd, the guy's name is Mu, Mu, and the girl's name is Mita. <laughs> okay. They went to the, the Indonesian Central Java Kadri district, and they got married. Great. Everything's fine so far, right? Sure. So Internet she, age. She, yeah, she was, um, you know, all dressed up in a gown, had her face covered. People were there priests and reverends or whatever they are they're called there um came to the ceremony his family came and everybody said she was so beautiful and um anyways things things started going a little bit a little bit um iffy oh on the first night because she refused to um consummate their marriage you get you know oh yeah do 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 the thing you know and then she did it on the second night and then she ref- <laughs> sorry she didn't she didn't on the third night and then he started thinking something's wrong here not like with the way he looks or whatever but uh he started asking around and he found out his wife was not his wife she's she's a he dude and and so now the guy has told the police and the police came and arrested her, but it's unclear if um, she has to face charges or will have to pay back the money. 
and the cows. He her, he, yeah, he asked her to get married, right? She agreed. Mm. And so I guess there might be some legal precedent that you cannot, she, he cannot sue her or whatever for the money. So mm. the point is here, guys. Um, and I don't want to sound like, you know, your grandmother, but I think before you get married, maybe you need to, um, do, do the, uh, do the, um, do like animals do kick the tires and take the car for a spin. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think that's, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Now this is in Indonesia. So maybe the cows is a, not on point, but, um, Indonesia is kind of a Islamic country and depending on where it is, they follow different Islamic law. Like I know in the Northern part of Sumatra, it's Sharia law, uh-huh. but in the mm-hmm. Western part of, of, of Sumatra, it's a mixture of um, traditional Islam as well as more like um, animist uh, cultures there. So depending oh. on where it, I'm not sure about Java, because if it's two dudes, there might be some sort of, religious component there ah that like they don't recognize the marriage between two dudes and the one would be um possibly guilty of fraud yeah and if they didn't consummate the marriage there's there's no sort of you know illegal gay sex going on oh so that's why they probably so this is getting into be a big roof. big this is getting to be a big problem for the, the husband, Moo. I think uh, can't get his money back. He might be in trouble. He'll be made fun of all his friends for the rest of his life. No kidding. But yeah. Wherever he hey, goes. Are you, are you the guy that married that good girl? <laughs> yeah. Hi. Or that man? My name is Moo. Uh, oh, that Moo? Right? <laughs> Moo. So, yeah. So, I thought that was kind of interesting story and just wanted to warn your viewers, Matt, to be careful. Don't fall in love in, at first sight. Well, um, as you know very well, and as well as a lot of other foreigners who come to Japan, they end up marrying um, a crazy local woman without understanding how crazy they are before tying the knot. So yeah, be careful about them. Yeah. I waited 10 years. <laughs> that's good that's good your parents her parents like you oh yeah 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 they're they're good oh, they're good. good people they're good people that's that's good that's good we go out to um, onsen a few times a year usually um and uh, when i go up to their hometown and we just we hang out it's good it's fun. we're back we're back to talking what we were originally starting on this show black lives matter now so you are a butter smelling foreigner right very much. I, I'm, I smell. <laughs> this is my uh, this is my characterization of what Japanese people think of Western people. They're always mm. late and they smell like cheese. Really? <laughs> That's what I think Japanese people think about me. Oh well, you weren't late today. No, no. So but, yeah. yeah. So um, and, and anyhow, yeah. So okay. So what's the next subject here? Next subject on this mostly peaceful protest. I mean podcast. I mean peaceful march. Yeah. Um, this one is. I'm going to move on a little bit to another one. Um, this is kind of an interesting one. Um, talking about uh, the disaffected. Um, this is Prime Minister of Japan Shinzo Abe mm-hmm. offers mm-hmm. refuge to Hong Kong finance workers. Tokyo, ah. Tokyo turns to talent seeking escape from China's national security law. Now, China is going to um, impose a new security law on Taiwan that will allow um, Beijing to extradite Hong Kongers from Hong Kong to China to be prosecuted. Hong Kong is, of mm. course, known as a place of law. China is known as a place by law. Um, Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a a huge amount of fear there because if you get charged for things like financial crime in Hong Kong and are extradited into, um, Beijing, who knows what will happen to you? Nobody really knows how this, how the legal system works in a totalitarian state that can never be wrong. So this comes to us from Reuters by Yuki Fujita, Nikkei staff. 
Japanese Prime mm. Minister. Oh, okay. We have been, uh, I think Abe says, somebody says in the Japanese government, we have been welcoming foreign talent with specialized and technical abilities, including from Hong Kong, and will continue to actively do so. Yes, Abe said um, at a meeting, he was responding to a question from a fellow member. It is important for Tokyo to remain an attractive place of business for the finance industry and to continue developing as an international city that brings together people, information, and money from around the world, Abe said. In order, to for, in order for it to become a financial center, we need to bring in more talent. That's kind of what he said. Uh, I, I, interesting. You take. know, I don't like Abe. I don't like Abe, I, and I don't really know why I don't like him. But um, trying to change the constitution bothers bothers me. But that's a good idea. Yeah, we should we should try to hire all of these you know finance um, managers. He, he's obviously talking about um, management people, upper management people. He's not talking about the clerk at the door. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or the or the cute girl behind the behind behind the desk at the at the Well, entrance. wait a minute, wait a minute. We we can extend certain considerations for oh, certain. That's right. <laughs> yeah, not not family members as most countries do, but clerks, cute clerks, talented financiers, yeah. and their cute clerks. It's like it's like you know. I used to um, guys guys would score girls like one to ten, right? Oh yeah. But I used to tell my friends, no, 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 that's not good. You just see them and imagine like you're the the uh, H&R person at this company and this girl walks in the door and you're hired, <laughs> hired, not hired. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and I know that's probably, a, is, is that a sexist joke? Uh, yeah, but it's okay on a freedom of speech podcast. <laughs> this whole thing that men don't evaluate women based on their looks immediately after looking at them is some sort of crazy feminist myth that needs to die. <laughs> yeah, I would never do that. I mean, I heard my friend tell the joke. Yeah. Well, I, I've I've heard people kind of say, you know, the one to ten range, you know, the up the 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 yes or no is is another one. But people are often too easy to go to like a one or a two. You know, uh, most I think most would probably start if you want to be fair with evaluating, start at a four, and go mm-hmm. go to an eight point five. But leave mm-hmm. leave the extreme extremities of the range for for the extremities themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, horribly deformed people or supermodels kind of belong in their own um, uh, marginalized area. Oh, so okay. Wait a minute. We're going to change the subject here. When you say that about supermodels, I've worked at a company, and I don't remember what company it was. It was a bank. This is a long time ago, and I was teaching English. In, in the old days, in English was English teaching is a very good job, especially back then. But this company, every girl working there was at least an eight and a half, eight, eight and a half, all of them. Wow. And I was like, this guy, this guy is smart because he hires all these really beautiful girls to work there. And then he can get the guys to come, right? Talented guys to come. That was what I thought. Yeah. But, um, um, that's just smart. It, it is. Um, when I was working at the telecom company as well, they had a bunch of, uh, greeters on the first floor of like a 30 story building. And most of them, uh, looked, they were pretty easy on the eyes as well. Yeah. It, it does kind of create an image when you have like these giant marble walls with, um, well-dressed pretty girls in front of them and badass looking security. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the first impression of a place. They, they wouldn't want uh. people like you or me there. Hey, how's it going? What do you need there? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's learn English. <laughs> Good job. Good job. <laughs> Maybe they found out who I really was and said, get out of here. Get out of here. Um, but yeah, it I is think- pretty interesting that um, often, oftentimes Japan is criticized for not bringing in enough refugees uh, I don't really think Japan is a place for refugees. You can't work if you're a refugee in Japan, and Japan's like a working society. Uh, you have to yeah. basically um, give free English lessons in exchange for food and stuff like that. So, uh, but um, accepting these uh, financiers into the like a fresh injection of really high level talent 
from another Asian um, international financial center. That would be kind of interesting because the uh, a lot of the Japanese bankers now are getting very old, and I'm not sure how how hip they are. You know. Yeah. Well, these guys they have to be university educated. They must have came came from pretty well off families. They probably speak Chinese, English, who knows, and they're experienced. Yeah. That's 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 it. Yeah. Hired that guy. If I hire that guy for like their um cuz Japan is increasingly looking outward to improve its profits cuz the demographics are shrinking. So they can't yeah. rely on the younger generations to sustain the finances of the of the country. So maybe right. by having these Hong Kong um, ninjas come in and doing foreign M and A's. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's smart. It's not bad. Not bad at all. We're, yeah, yeah, not bad. We're in the wrong business, Matt. Podcasting. <laughs> it's barely even a business, dude. <laughs> all right. Um, I recorded an interview yesterday with an ambient mm-hmm. um, guy we're gonna I'm, we don't need to listen to it now but i'm just gonna uh, cue it up and then uh, we will continue okay. uh after this here we go And joining the podcast now is Alan Dembski, a English consultant as well as a ambient musician. Welcome to the podcast, Alan. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me. You bet. So um, I've been involved with English education. I, I might be getting out of it at the moment. Uh, I've never done English consulting. Uh, what's that? Um, you know, you're stepping away from grammar. You're stepping away from, uh, you know, the idioms and all that. And it's more like coaching. So it's more like helping clients. You know, these are big, small companies with presentations, effective reading skills. What else? Uh, meetings, facilitating. And even even like uh, just understanding Western culture a bit more. So when they go overseas, you know, they're not you know, useless in some ways. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I spent, I just spent five years in a major Japanese telecom as an English teacher, kind of doing the same thing. It evolved into that quite naturally because that's what they need to learn. What are some of the big differences between Japanese meetings and Western meetings? To be honest, that's the hard part is because I never really experienced a meeting and in Western countries, right? But what I can help them with is just make an agenda, tighten it up, get to the point, you know, um, and also listen, help them listen to each other, right? So I think a big problem in Japan is a lot of a lot of people are not saying when they don't understand something. Oh yeah, they just you know, like they're, straight face pretend to understand it all. Yeah, exactly. And so I'm trying to show them that there's no shame. It's actually a bigger sign of respect and politeness if you interrupt and say, oh, "I'm sorry, can you say that again?" Uh, did you what? What do you mean by this definition? So I wanted to kind of give them confidence in interrupting and and understanding that because, you know, us Western people are definitely going to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. So uh, I I want to show them that that's normal, and it's polite. It's a different definition of polite. And how long have you been doing this? I've been doing this for probably about, I would say, four years now. Okay. And- yeah, and then before before that, I was uh, I've been teaching for about thirteen years. So even in uh, Toronto, uh, I was teaching over there. Like I, I love, I love the concept of teaching and helping people in general. So, it's one of the good things about it. Um, teaching you don't end with a product, you don't end with a final thing, but if mm-hmm. you apply it right, you can improve somebody's skill in the real world. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so, and uh, be part of you know a part of that positive change in society. So. 
now that a lot of uh, meetings have gone online, are you also mm -hmm. helping people to understand online meetings and stuff like that with your English consulting? Yeah, it's even, uh, I, I feel like I'm a Zoom teacher. Like I can uh, qualify to be a Zoom trainer at, uh, at Zoom itself, you know, because part of my, my lessons, like I, I had a three hour intensive course yesterday. And part of it is just showing them how to use Zoom, <laughs> how to use the whiteboard and how to uh, set your audio, all, the, all those kinds of things. Why did Zoom take over? Because before the COVID, yeah. it was all, um, you would get Skype or FaceTime or something like that. I was using FaceTime a lot because with Google Calendars, you can just click on it and, and meet people somewhere in the world. But then right overnight, yeah. Zoom is like, no, it's Zoom. We're all Zoom now. Zoom. It's Zoom. Even when like the Chinese are shutting down accounts and like there's security flaws, everyone's like Zoom, you know, it's just like this automatic takeover. Yeah, it's a good question. I guess, uh, well, if you look at, I guess, Skype for business, I think you actually need to pay for the service in order to have a couple more windows. FaceTime, I guess, doesn't give off that businessy kind of persona. Right. That's a good point. <laughs> and, here, and here, yeah, right. And then I guess Zoom. Uh, yeah, Zoom just was there the right place at the right time. Like, uh, I have a couple friends back home that use Zoom before. Yeah, you know, with their companies before this whole mess and everything that happened. But, uh, and I was like foreign to it. I'm like, why the heck did you pick this? Right. But it seems to be geared towards more of a business market. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. that uh, it was just kind of waiting there and it just all of a sudden everybody's using it. Um, what, what kind of demand is there for English consulting? I think there's a pretty big demand for it. Um, you know, it, it's funny. I, I, in some ways, I don't even see it as English consulting. It's just consulting. And it, and it's, uh, I always find it funny that I'm the expert on this topic, right? But it's more me just playing devil's advocate with them and getting them to think about their own approach to it. But uh, a lot of people are lost. They don't know how to communicate. Uh, and, uh, they're not willing to, you know, look up YouTube videos on how to do it. <laughs> right. Oh, so, yeah. uh, it, it's, yeah, it's possible. Like a lot of people can just find it on YouTube or, you know, download a course or something, but, um, yeah, they're kind of lazy. They want someone to yell at them <laughs> and be their coach. It's a good point. I've realized that, um, especially over the past few years, we've seen a lot more virtualization and software. And what I've noticed is that hardware connects people in a vertical stack. Software mm -hmm. connects people in a lateral stack. And so you have all yeah. these people that don't really know each other or work with each other suddenly through the technology operating with each other and communication yeah. is a key point where before if you're with your in group you can just talk like a boring engineer and everyone's going to be a boring engineer so you don't need to really communicate that well but if you need to communicate your engineering skills to somebody in atlanta who might be working on an advertising project yeah. there's a completely different way to communicate that and as humans we're not really interested in studying things outside of our area of interest. So suddenly there's this um, demand that is created through this, um, the, the softwareization of online meetings. Which, which I, I find strange in general that people just aren't, in, you know, that's the problem is they're not interested in the topic, but why can't you just be interested in the person in some ways, right? And understand that that's no matter what, the topic is it's still connected to you in some way in some ways right so i find that always very fascinating i'm like uh yeah you know during this whole uh pandemic and everything like that i think out of all the countries uh japan has benefited the most from from covid19 and it sounds kind of strange yeah but could you elaborate on that <laughs> i think i think the the positive side of zoom has forced people to communicate in different formats. And on top of that, uh, it's forced people to work from home, 
you know, as you know, Japan like loves overtime work, working at the office and everything. And this is the first time where it's like, no, we're, you have to work from home. And I think there was a drop, there was a study where there was a drop in suicide by 30% because I think they're gaining back their work-life balance. And it's also cutting down on useless meetings. So when you are on Zoom, it, it kind of counts now, right? Like you have to communicate properly. I think meetings have become shorter because no one really wants to be online. And uh, it, there's been a lot of benefits from it. I kind of, uh, yeah, it's the one country that's, yeah, really rising in that sense. That's interesting. I, w- I spent a lot of time researching the WeWork company because um, mm-hmm. I was uh, loosely involved with it. And they kind of lied about a bunch of stuff. But one of the things that they were trying to do was, was eliminate the amount of waste that middle management creates in big companies mm-hmm. uh, because they need to organize people to organize people. And if when the company gets yeah. big enough, middle management becomes this huge weight on um, the the process of completing projects, you know, some middle management's mm. necessary, but one of the big issues with these major conglomerates is too much middle management creates a glut. Uh, WeWork was supposed to solve all that with their AI and IoT devices, but they kind of <laughs> just lied all about it. But it seems like Zoom might be a threat to the WeWork model. Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. For very much so, right? Like. Uh... Those uh, working spaces, I don't know much about them. Like I've been to, I've been to WeWork uh, and uh, it's an airport business in in Tokyo. But um, yeah, of of course, it, it's eliminating. You know, a lot of companies don't need offices anymore, in general, right? And uh, I I think in the end, I think they just offer a completely different service. And eventually I find like renting like a, you know, a floor of a building is going to be pointless for a lot of companies. They're going to find, you know, Zoom and WeWork a better, a better place to do business. Zoom will just buy that building and put servers in there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. For sure. Like, I, I don't see them as much competition, but they're recognizing where their strengths are and their weaknesses are, you know, because everyone does need a, a space and, and as good as working from home is, you want to get out. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah. And I was almost thinking like there could be, um, instead of like huge WeWork buildings, like uh, community, smaller buildings, almost like internet cafes where you can just go there for your yeah. your meetings and then leave and come back home or something like that. Because I think moving all everything into the home is not a good idea in the long term. It might be for a short yeah. term, but if your daughter is like in Zoom meetings for education and you're in Zoom meetings for your business and then your wife is in a Zoom meeting for like a, a, like a, a white wine party, uh, eventually Zoom will just take over everything and create a new weird monopoly. Yeah, it's not, it's not healthy. Like uh, there needs to be yeah, we can't like uh, shift over to that side either. It's got to be a kind of a balance of the two. You know, human interaction is important, and that that comes with face to face interaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're also doing music with a project called mm. Demski. We talked briefly yeah. about it, and you were saying that it's a type of um, ambient electronica. If I'm not, if I'm getting that right. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, ambient. Uh, from what my friends tell me, like down tempo kind of music. So, you know, you can listen to it in a, while doing work or just, you know, on a rainy day like today. Uh, yeah. So I've been doing that for about how long now? 10 years, but I've been playing it live just for the last year. And I actually just did my first uh, Zoom concert. With uh, and you you know the you know Tokyo Decks quite well. Yep. So I did it. I did it with them, and uh, that was very interesting, very very cool, and it's cool to see where music's going throughout this whole thing as well. Was was there a big when you're doing? That's actually an interesting point. Um, when you're doing acoustic music or rock music, 
the mm-hmm. venue is important because it the 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 music itself echoes off the walls. But yeah. with electronica, it's it's digital first, and mm-hmm. with something like Zoom, it's also digital first. And then the the quality of the music can go through your digital channels and come out the other end into somebody's ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because you have to think about how you can deliver energy to a person or to many people who are just sitting down. <laughs> yeah, and it's uh, yeah, it's a very it's right. So um, that's why I like the challenge of it, and I'm still like. I'm trying to play as many online kind of streaming shows as possible now just to learn and kind of to uh, to mess up and see what works, what doesn't. Because that's that's going to be a huge source of revenue for music as well. Like already Twitch, you know, the gaming site Twitch, the numbers for electronic music there have gone up immensely. Like a lot of people are doing streams like, it's incredible. Oh, that's interesting. I've noticed yeah. that um, that uh, if you're an electronic musician, you're up to date with digital formats. I've noticed that a lot of the rock musicians or folk musicians I know have no mm-hmm. like they call it switch sometimes, or you know, they they're like, oh, I've heard about this platform called Twitch. You know, a lot of them are not really up to date in the technology mm-hmm. that's available. No, I don't think I am either. I'm, uh, <laughs> I think, I think no one, I think it's, uh, no one is, it's new grounds, new territory. One thing uh, that I've, so sorry. One thing that I've noticed is that when you go to a, a concert, if it's a concert hall, it's beautiful inside. If you go to like a, a underground rock club in Shinjuku, it's dingy inside and you get shitty mm-hmm. lager, but with, um, broadcasting from home, like I'm just looking at you on your couch right now. Yeah, yeah. So what do you do to like spice it up as a for visually? Well, well, there's it's pretty um it's pretty cool what people are doing. Like, you know, you see things like just some people just put like 20 candles around them, you know, a lot of plants, uh, you know, maybe cool shots of nature, maybe they'll do it outside. Uh the this and that cafe for Tokyo Decks, what they did was they had uh, VJs that could manipulate the uh, the space around you. So they can, they had an audience about, I think about, throughout the whole night, I think about 70, 80 people. Okay. And yeah, they were manipulating different windows of different people and putting effects on them and everything. And it was really cool. So people were very intrigued to see more what they're doing to the, uh, the visuals than they are the music sometimes you know there's like a dancing banana and then there's like swirls all around and it was uh it was really cool i i, th- I think uh i think vjs are gonna be a big part of this new industry this new music industry people are gonna really need them for streaming yeah i've been thinking about this um new leap in a couple of terms one is you know, we can put aside all of the the cultural relativism, but just like the fact that it's a technology. One is the iron horse, where the trains running mm. through North America, the Indian or Native American tribes or First Nations tribes looked at it as an iron horse, but it's mm. not an iron horse. It's a completely new technology. And, yeah. and, and it brought with it so many things as well. And Joseph Conrad, the writer, was a sailor and he loved sails and he loved the ropes on the sails and when the steamships first came out he looked at it as a crude form of technology because you needed engineers who knew how to operate the steam engine and manipulate steam and so with this type of what i'm trying to say is it requires new people to create the product for the for the for the listener or for the the person who's going to enjoy the art and we might be looking at sound engineers and vjs people who can manipulate visualizations as being more of a mm. band member, more part of the actual team. Yeah. It, it, you know, actually that's the one good thing about Japan in some ways is uh, the amount of visual artists over here and VJs uh, are fantastic, right? Yes, like you absolutely. can, you can find them. They're always looking for gigs and uh, 
yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like even, you know, speaking about Zoom for business, you know, uh, what musicians are doing with Zoom as well, you know, manipulating it, learning this new platform, it's, uh, they're making it their own. And I think Zoom, Zoom must be, their R&D team, it must be having a field day with this stuff, like the amount of possibilities they have now. Like, oh my God, musicians are using it, artists. Uh, you know, we have to change the audio quality. Uh, we, you know, they found ways to manipulate the visuals. What can we do? What can we create? How can we make it better? Even, even um, Spotify is getting into visuals yes. a lot more, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic, right? Like, I think a podcast, even your podcast can go visual on Spotify eventually, I think. It's something to consider. Um, if I get a cameraman, I, I used to do a bit of camera work, but I, yeah. I, being the engineer, the interviewer, a participant, as well as a camera <laughs> operator at the same time, it's like, I, uh, it's way too much for me. But yeah, it's it's not a bad idea if to have um, to have somebody who can manipulate the images and make it look pretty interesting yeah that's not yeah. a bad idea at all to be honest yeah all these ideas i'm talking about i should be doing myself yeah yeah it's uh the the one great thing about uh, another great thing about covid is uh the amount of time you have to <laughs> to learn about them and create <laughs> no kidding yeah um so we're wrapping up here in a minute here um is there anything you'd like to add or where people can find you and all of that yeah yeah um well like uh my music uh, you can go to whoisdemski.com and uh yeah i'll be playing around quite a bit yeah you can find me on facebook and uh i don't have that much social media it's pretty much just facebook and Bandcamp and the usual but uh yeah, you can find me there. Hopefully, I'll have some shows soon and uh, working on some new online streaming events as well. So Twitch, hopefully, we'll find out. <laughs> Sounds great. All right, Alan, thank you very much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Donate to the Japan What Podcast by going to paypal.me forward slash Japan WUT. This is Community by Alan Dembski.
I'm confused. I'm confused about 5G. What is 5G? I thought 5G was kind of like Wi-Fi or something like that, like the next step up on Wi-Fi. But I hear from people it's a different thing. It is a very different thing, and it has different spectrums as well. There's a low, oh. medium, and high-end spectrum that each have their own speeds for uploads and downloads and what type of um, beams can be applied. So I've been told by other people that, yeah, 5G is coming in and, um, you know, that that's going to be really good for internet radio and podcasting and things like that. Is that true? It could be because if you have a five, a strong 5G connection, you essentially can have um, a super high giga, multi-gigabyte per second download speeds and yeah. 500 megabyte upload speeds per second. So so internet radio, for example, internet radio, I'm, and I'm on a... Um, I'm on in 18 nations and 36 radios. Anyway, um, <laughs> with um, the Mike Rogers show and the color yeah, with radio. the Mike Rogers show. And, and, uh, so that means internet radio stations. Okay. There's internet radio stations that broadcast at 128 MP3. And then there's ones that do 320. Right. And, but I've never heard of a, uh, wave station yet. So will 5g allow some of these stations to broadcast wave files? Oh, that's a good point. You know what? That that might actually that makes sense because the amount of data that can be transferred at the same time is vastly increased. So, so yeah, I would say yes. Yeah, so my point on that is and you know, internet radio podcasting everything is so young. It's still in its infancy, but we're about to see, I guess, uh, explosion um, because 5G is going to change a lot of things. And a lot of these radio stations that are broadcasting at, I think it's 128 uh, KBS kilobytes per second. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to go bankrupt because there's, I know three stations, no, four stations that are doing 320 kilobytes per second. And there's no comparison in the sound quality. But so the, the, the stations that are doing really good um, sound quality are, are going to probably jump up to wave when that happens. And all of these stations that are down doing, you know, 128 kilobytes per second, they're going to go bankrupt. They're probably almost bankrupt anyway. Yeah. But anyway, so, okay. So just to clear that up, I just wanted to clear that up with somebody who knew. So yeah, this, I know a little bit this, about it and it really does depend on the type of service. So if you have a 5G phone and you are in mm -hmm. an area that has a 28 gigahertz um, uh, connection and you're on a, on a micro, a millimeter feed, the cell phone tower could connect directly to your cell phone mm -hmm. and then start beaming um, at a, like one or two gigabytes per second download speeds. So you, wow. could, you could easily fit in a wave into that type of information feed. So what could happen is you might be able to see at first a premium membership. So for people that are these crazy audiophiles that are tired of yeah. shitty mm. um, quality radio online, uh, just the audio style, they might be willing to pay a, a service to access a wider um, pipeline so that they can get the audio quality that they want when they're streaming. Yeah. Uh, that, that could be seems... a business model. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, anyways, there's a there's some company. We're here to warn you here on this podcast. We're here to help you out. Mm. You know, so there's a <laughs> there's a company that's there's a company that's selling a simple USB stick that has 128 megabytes of storage, and it will protect you from the devastating effect effects of 5G. Yeah, and this little <laughs> USB stick. <laughs> It's called a 5G BioShield. It sells for $350. And there are people buying this. So, and um, let me, I, I know you don't like, uh, well, we don't like people reading, but I got to read this expo explanation of All this product right. for you. All right. Sounds good. <clears throat> the 5G BioShield makes it possible, thanks to a uniquely applied process of quantum nanolayer technology, 
to balance the imbalance electric oscillations arising from all electric fog induced by all devices such as laptops, cordless phones, LAN, tablets, whatever, and also brings balance into the field at the atomic and cellular level, restoring balance effects to all harmful ionized and non-ionized radiation. Sadly, as the trading standards... <laughs> anyway, because... Anyways, the British government wants to close this company down, I guess. Oh, uh, because how evil they, of them. They, they want to kill us all. Yeah, so... We're just trying to protect any, our biospheres. Yeah. So did you understand any of that, what I just read? Uh, I yeah, I understood. It's a scam. <laughs> That's what oh, I understood. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so anyway, Minas, uh, uh, everyone who's listening to this, 5G BioShield is a scam. Don't pay $350 for that. Okay. What? If you're going to pay $350 to that right here, this is the, uh, our PayPal account. Name. <laughs> yes. PayPal.me forward slash Japan W U T. Cool. Um, what, what's so, interesting yeah. about that article is that it's playing off some of the science involved that uh, there are worries that super, um, like 28 gigahertz frequency, uh, radio frequencies might, mm. if it's really close to your skin, it might oscillate the cells at a cellular level. And then if that's happening, it might make the cells weaker to some sort of coronavirus infection. It's all speculative, but that's, it's kind of mixing in some of the potential threats of a, wow. of a 5G tower, but also at that same time, uh, hijacking it to, um, to make you scared and then buy something because of that. So I, I think, you know, doesn't um, 100, what is it, 128 megabyte um, flash drive, USB thumb stick, drive, doesn't, yeah. it, doesn't it sell for like 300 or 300 yen? Yeah, it's like three bucks. <laughs> They're getting people to pay $350 for this thing. <laughs> we should sell some Japan what's, the Japan what anti-5G uh, bioprotection sphere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyways, people are idiots. Uh, and it's, what's hilarious is that all of these, everybody kind of does the same thing. It's like, what? Put my credit card online. Not me. Not ever. But now everybody is has the Amazon app on their phone. They're like, give me my toilet paper. Give me my toilet paper. You know, how you know how long, how fast does it take for people to they do everyone has their amazon on their phone now a lot of people I do don't. no me neither me neither i don't use my phone for much um uh, actually uh to to say actually a lot i i tend to use my computer for that cuz the phone can um dis my display things in a in a way that is not based on search but based on advertisers more easily than computers Oh, well, I, I live in a, my wife's Japanese. I live in a typical Japanese home. I live on a allowance and I make the money and my wife takes the money and gives me a few cents every day <laughs> and I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I'm, I don't need a lot of money these days. Uh, so <clears throat> do you know about Japan society 5.0? No. What's that? The fourth industrial revolution will enable us to create a new society. Artificial intelligence will transform the big data collected through the Internet of Things into new wisdom. Society 5.0, a technology-based, human-centered society. So that's by the Japanese government in the Keidanren, trying to promote... All right, I... I know, I don't know what you think about artificial intelligence, but I worked for a company, and I don't want to say their name, that was a Japanese and a Chinese company collaboration on a so-called AI robot. Yeah, that sounds like and, stupid. Yeah, it was stupid, and it was a piece of junk. And um, we had this uh, press conference, and the little robot was sitting there on the table, and they they were going back and forth, and asking the robot questions and when they ask questions it just froze up and i thought that was so funny it's like oh god this is this is perfect this is perfect but yeah i don't believe it's going to be a long 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 time for ai to, to ai is just, it's just an algorithm and when it's software based it's very powerful like yeah. I, w I wouldn't be surprised if 
the Zoom that we're using right now is using some sort of AI to streamline um, the packets being sent through the internet, something like that. In that case, it's very powerful. Or if you have a a fleet of trucks and they're picking up garbage, the AI can optimize the routes based on the amount of garbage inside of the garbage cans and things like that. So. Uh, when it's software based and streaming through the cloud, it's very powerful. But when all these people have like the 1950s versions of the Jetsons in their head and they're trying to realize it with artificial intelligence, it ultimately leads to failure because they're trying to shoehorn a circle into a square. Oh, yeah. Well, I just, I don't believe in, actually, I don't believe in AI and I don't, I won't believe in it until a an AI unit or whatever can lie to you uh, and for its own self-preservation. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one aspect. If you're thinking about like a AI general intelligence, there is a uh, AI fake news generator by the open AI where you put in something like um, uh, Shinzo Abe and Donald Trump and you just put the, and it will write a whole news article and it will also then start to write about Republicans and Democrats and then uh, the coronavirus. And it will link a whole bunch of things together via a neural network. And it's very convincing. Oh, okay. Well, I got to go, man. Okay. All right. All right. That'll be that. Thanks, Mike, for joining the podcast, man. Yeah. So um, thank you so much for having me on it. I hope I didn't talk too much. Nope, not at all. All right. All right, everybody. Okay. Thanks for listening. Uh, so we promise zero insight. We deliver zero insight. Zero insight guaranteed. The, <laughs> the the mostly peaceful podcast coming at you from the heartland of Tokyo, blowing hot air out of the out of the uh, back end of Tokyo. I'm your co-host, Matt Glow. Thanks, Mike.